1: the offseason. This is Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is October 5th, 2015, and this is episode 142. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to our voices right now, you're most likely doing it on our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, where we run the weekly podcast and an occasional blog. It's also possible that you found us on Baltimore Sports Report and also on the, uh, the baseball talk radio over at uh, baseballpodcast.net. You can find this program on Stitcher, on Miro, on Double Twist, and if you really feel it, you must on iTunes. If you do find us on iTunes, please make sure that you rate and review the show. It really helps us find new ears. And frankly, we'd like to know what we're doing wrong. Lastly, you can catch us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com/slash B-E-V cast. We're on Twitter at BirdseyeView B-A-L. And at this juncture, I need to say a thank you. Hmm. I need to say a thank you to all the folks out there that interact with us on Twitter. We really appreciate you guys, and it makes doing this whole baseball thing a lot of fun. Uh, Scotty rallied the troops, got us up over a a round number for followers, and uh, it's humbling and appreciated, and thanks, guys.
0: Yep. Unfortunately, Major League Baseball Advanced Media does not appreciate you, as they have started a new social media network fund uh, called MLB Fans,
1: I believe is what it's called. Oh, that's right. And you can find us on MLB Fans <laughs> at View B A am not kidding. I signed us up this afternoon. I have no idea what it is. It is
0: the official social network of MLB.
1: We have express written consent, as our friends over at OBP tweeted us today. Uh,
0: I'm pretty darn sure that MLB Advanced Media actually listened to this podcast and was just like, you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea to beep out people's stories unless they're on our own social network. So... Just be careful around that water cooler, everybody, because unless you're on MLB fans, you're really not supposed to be talking about the game.
1: I think what we ought to do is we ought to go find the terms and conditions that everybody just goes through and find the gotchas. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm not joking here, Jake. You look at the press release and it says MLB fans is an interactive network for fans to share their individual baseball stories and experiences by posting personal photos and videos and commenting and liking, which means you can't post any of that to any other social media platform besides MOB
1: fans. That would be disseminating.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how long we can get through this episode.
1: With that, I think it's most important that with news like that, we go to the drink of the week. And uh, I think that this is your venue this, this week. This is
0: going to be my venue this week. So everyone, I promised last week, off-season was going to happen. We're going to go big. We're going to go home. We're going to enjoy this last episode of the cool. Orioles season. So Jake... Tradition would dictate us to have one drink of the week.
1: That is the way we do things.
0: But as you know, at Bird's Eye View, we are always about throwing out tradition.
1: Although I I will say that sometimes I have several of the same one thing. Yes, obviously. go for it. We're throwing tradition. What are we doing
0: here? So, Jake, what we're going to do for this show is for every single segment before a break, and our breaks are normally right after a musical interlude, we are going to have a drink of the week
1: i like it several weeks worth of drinks in the same podcast
0: correct so we are going to get caught up for any drinks that we did not have so jake we are starting out with a balvini scotch whiskey Uh, this is a whiskey um, that is uh, 12 years old in age and it is aged in uh, caribbean rum barrels
1: it's 12 years old so it'll get the humor of the podcast uh pretty much yes so bottoms up Now, you are aware oh. that I'm a Sissy girly Pants, right? Yeah, and we're going to have a lot more drinks after that. And yeah, That's pretty good.
0: And it's pretty good. Pretty Hold smooth on. for a whiskey. All right. Well, with that, I think it's time we delve into 140 characters or less this week on the Twitter. This week on the Yes. All right. First one up uh, that we want to talk about is, oh, uh, Jake, do, do we really have to talk about this one?
1: Oh, absolutely we do. Absolutely we do. We're going to hear it. Everywhere, this offseason, we might as well get it out of the way and do it ourselves. This comes from Ben Nicholson-Smith, who tweets at Ben Nicholson-Smith, or B Nicholson-Smith. He's one of the Sportsnet writers for the Toronto Blue Jays. I Um, guess. He is. Hashtag Blue Jays and hashtag Rangers were both under 500 on July 28th, and then there's a, a link to a Sportsnet article about it. Ooh,
0: congratulations. It must be nice being playoff teams and being so good during the second half of the season.
1: I'm actually interested about this because uh, there was a time when the Orioles weren't technically out of it. There was a time in the season when we thought, well, maybe if we add a piece or two, we can be in contention. There are a lot of clubs like that. The second wild card has, I think, changed fundamentally the way that baseball teams will construct the second half of their season. And I think you're going to start seeing a lot more of this. Either teams that were gangbusters at the beginning of the season are going to fall off the table or— Vice versa, like we're seeing out of two of the uh, of the the playoff teams this year.
0: That's also amazing too, looking at those two teams. They went one went out and got David Price, one went out and got, got Cole Hamels. It's almost like having a number one pitcher Actually,
1: can kind of matter, and you know what? We suspected because of our proximity to the Blue Jays. You know, we see them all the time. We right. suspected they could be good. I got to be honest; I did not expect the Rangers to do this. No, there's no way. Especially
0: earlier this season, when you Darvish went down, I was just like, "Well, forget it's it." It's going to be another season where the Rangers going to be, you know, in the basement or near the basement, in the American League West. Um, best to know you, but Prince Fielder absolutely had a great year since '02. Also had a great season as well. Um, but you know, tap. Tip the cap to the Rangers uh, and the Blue Jays in reality for being able to have a remarkable second half of the season. But Jake, that wasn't the story. What was the story, Scott? Jake, the story was Sunday, and it wasn't about all the postseason games that were going on. It was about a meaningless game against the Miami Marlins versus the Philadelphia Phillies. This comes from MLB on Twitter. You can follow them at MLB. Itro pitching is his real life. And for those that have not seen this, go check out. Ichiro Suzuki pitching in a 7-2 loss, uh, but throwing up some great sliders and some high leg kicks that would make Jim Palmer envious.
1: Now, I watched the, uh, the quick videos on Twitter, which you'll be able to find in the show notes on this particular podcast at yes. Um, Did they do this just as a, uh, a send-off because he's getting up there in his 40s and may not be back for another season? Or, I mean, I can't think that with September rosters, they were short pitching.
0: I'm thinking the situation is each row is a free agent going into next year. I think they're trying to market it to the Baltimore Orioles and say, look at the dual threats you could have. You could have a bullpen arm
1: slash left-handed slap hitter for a pretty cheap price. So he's like Michael Givens, except for not being terrible at the plate? Yes, that is correct. Gotcha. He was... The slider was actually really impressive. The
0: slider was really impressive. He actually threw two back-to-back. One was too low in the strike zone, and he's just like, oh, I was a little off on that one. Let me bring it up a little bit. And then it was a perfect strike. I was just like, all right. Had good off-speed pitches. Uh, It was just a really impressive thing from a 40-year-old that really doesn't pitch professionally.
1: And, And I'm telling you, he did it just to show off. Yes. All right, next, we had to do it. We have a tweet from Adam Jones, who tweets, at simply AJ10. It says, get away from the game, but know that business will be discussed. As the leader, I feel it's my obligation. To the fans, to the city, to me. He's cutting right past that middleman. He is indeed. Um, I've got to be honest. I'm not sure that I love Adam Jones getting involved in the front office business. I, you know, I, I don't think it ever looks good on a player to feel like he has a voice in the decision-making process. Am I, am I just being too old-fashioned there? Love the heart, love the passion, hate the result.
0: Adam Jones, stick to what you're good at, blowing bubbles and catching balls in center field.
1: And hitting dongs. And hitting dongs. That almost grazed the ground.
0: Next tweet comes from Luke Jones. You can follow him at Baltimore Luke. He works for some radio station, right? No. Okay. The hashtag Orioles scored eight more runs in 2015 than they did in 2014. However, they allowed 100 more runs this year than they did last season. Mm, That seems like a big issue. Yeah. Big issue.
1: Yeah. Somebody asked me today about the impact that Nelson Cruz and Nick Marquez might have had on this club, and I asked just one question. Do they pitch? You're right. I mean, that's a big issue. Um, One would think, though,
0: with additional runs, they could potentially have been going for a wild card. Yeah. But, man, that starting pitching just absolutely imploded on itself. So,
1: Here's one from our good friends over at Camden Depot, who, of course, tweet at... Camden Depot, and it uh, it goes like this. You can make a decent argument that Steve Pierce, Evan Gaddis, and Colby Rasmus would sufficiently replace 2015's Davis and wrecked corner outfielders. It's probably true,
0: but it doesn't make any sense, and if it didn't work, people would be constantly pointing back to the same thing that happened in 2015, which is, was, you can't pick a Platoon situation up and make it work. However... It would be a much cheaper option, and it's one of the ones that, again, I've come back and said Steve Pearson, Adam Lynn, for example, could potentially be a, a, a similar situation. But Evan Gaddis, it's an interesting platoon situation, even Cole Grasmus. It's, it's super utility, but it doesn't really jive, I don't think. And I think that might be one of the things that Buck has had uh, issues with this season coming into as well with perhaps the Ducat regime. But... Platoons and designated for assignments was a nasty topic in 2015. Let's look back at the 2015 season and try to figure out what the heck went wrong.
1: All right, Scott, what's our drink of the segment? So,
0: Jake, uh, this is a special concoction that I've come up with. It is called the Orioles Fizz. So, Jake, this is uh, three parts gin to one part orange juice. And then we dazzled it with a little bit of egg white in order to give it kind of a creamy, frothy texture. So you've got a nice head here, which is always appreciated by the co-host of Bird's Eye View. Yes, we love head.
1: I got nothing to do. Let me just uh, bottoms up here. Bottoms up. Mm. Scott Magnus, that's good. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. I think the head really puts it. All right, all right, yeah. all right. Listen to me. Sunday. Yes. Was difficult. And I have to be honest, I was I was a little more emotional about the last game of the season than I had anticipated on being. Totally. I mean, this team that, that ripped the heart right out of my chest in August really made me love baseball again uh, by the end of the season. Uh, because I, I will admit, I, t- I had said on this very program and any to anyone who would listen, that the team had had mailed it in, had, had simply packed it in and was, was mailing in the games. And they ended the season by winning five consecutive games to, A, win series against uh, divisional opponents, and B, end up at 500. Mm. And we can talk and debate about whether or not that's a meaningful uh, bar to get across. But it was meaningful for me, particularly that day. But for the looks of, from the looks of it, it, it wasn't just difficult for us, but it, also the players. Yeah. I mean, uh, many of them probably had played their final game in an Aura's uniform. But it must have been weird, like in the, in the clubhouse, right? I mean, something akin to the last day of school. You know, I, I hope they took pictures and, and got their yearbooks out and got them signed, because, you know, for some of them, this is the end of the road. With that, we wondered, what would the yearbooks have looked like in that room? For example, what would the superlative section look like? Y- you know the superlatives. There are things like most likely to this or best that. So without further ado.
0: Without further ado, here are your 2015 Oriole superlatives. First category, most improved over 2014.
1: I have a lot of easy ones yeah. that I could go to. I'm going to go with Jonathan Scope. Okay. Because I really think that what he did in a a very limited fashion, okay, you don't have a ton of at-bats to go against. I really think that he has developed into that second-tier support player that, as far as the lineup is concerned, is really going to be important next season, particularly as Adam Jones moves into his 30s. And maybe we don't necessarily have a Chris Davis type in the lineup anymore. Sure. I think think this is the perfect time for Jonathan Scope to click – so he's mine for uh, 2014. Jonathan Scope definitely took
0: a step forward in terms of um, becoming basically a franchise player for this this team. But there really is only one franchise player for this team, in my opinion, after this season, and that's Manny Machado. Manny Machado went from being a very good player, um, All Star player, to probably one of the best baseball players in all of Major League Baseball, right there with Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. Um, the step four that Manny Machado has had, you know, earlier this season, I predicted that he'd have 20 plus home runs and I was like, yeah, yeah, he'll probably get that, but we'll have to see what happens. But to hit, what is it? 35 home runs. It's just a huge leap and bound. And he's only 23 years old. Whew. I mean, t- you're telling me, I mean, that's just, that's just amazing what he's done in one season. It's, he's, you know, above superstar. He's MVP quality, which, you know, pat on the back,
1: Jeff Long, if you're listening to this. You called that? He called it, yeah. <laughs> and, and the cool thing is, it's not just the donks. Yeah. Like There's no 200 strikeouts to go with it. In fact, it's you know creeping up towards 200 hits. It's 20 plus yeah. stolen bases. It's he's doing it all.
0: I will point out that I did make the prediction of saying 200 hits, 20 home runs, and 20 stolen bases.
1: You almost nailed it.
0: I almost nailed it with the hits, but I'm going to give myself like a three quarters part credit there for that 30 home runs, which is just unbelievable. Me and Machado, hands down, most improved over
1: 2014. All right. So who, Scott, is your most disappointing Oriole over the, the the difference between 2014 and 2015?
0: I've got to go with Chris Tillman, who just barely scuffed under a 5.00 ERA at the end of Sunday's game. Huge drop off from a player that was at least a number two starter coming into this year. Uh, he didn't pitch any better than a number four or even a number five starter, Chris Tillman. Huge disappointment and a major reason why the Orioles aren't going back to the playoffs this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, he may have put together uh, some impressive starts to end the season, but yeah. by then it was too little, too late. Right. Uh, I'm going to go in a very uh, similar uh, vein here. I'm going to say Bud Norris. Yeah. Bud Norris was incredibly disappointing. I like Bud Norris. Like, not not just the baseball. Like, I liked rooting for Bud Norris. He was fun to watch. The fun. crotch grab, the pointing. He was a fiery guy. And in 2014, he won ball games. Not to mention he's an American player.
0: So he's making those American dollars.
1: <laughs> yeah. And there's that. <laughs> him being on another team on another coast certainly made those quotes easier to stomach. But he was he was terrible. I mean, there's no, no better way to Look, say it.
0: Look, we knew regression was gonna happen with Bud Norris. I just don't think we yeah. realized how quickly regression would come and bite him and bite him in that regard. He went from being, you know. Number three starter last year, we were expecting him to be a number four, number five starter again this year, and he went off the reservation, and he didn't get any better when he went, you know, to a, his, to the Padres. So he, he was a
1: number five guy in AAA. Yeah.
0: So, uh, Bud Norris, Chris Toman, kind of echoing the sentiment of starting pitching was an absolute train wreck this year. All right, best catch, Jake. What's your best catch for the year?
1: I got to go with Travis Snyder in that ridiculous catch he had on the Gnome game. Look, we beat up Travis Snyder for so many things, whether it be the toot bland or the fact that he barely hit my weight or whatever. He tried hard. He just didn't have it. But that catch that night was awesome. Amazing, David Lowe-esque. Yeah, it really was. He was, you know, horizontal to the ground. And he, I think, was most surprised of anybody in the building that he caught it. It was a lot of fun to watch.
0: The nice part about that is Sub Story. um, The one fan that was with the Pirates that was a really big uh, fan, that was actually the game that she got to actually come and watch him. She came on the field, got something signed by Snyder, and then was there for that night. You kind of have to feel like Snyder put in a little bit extra effort just to kind of get that... And baseball, as romantic as it is, decided to reward that kind of fandom.
1: Those storylines really do make it all worthwhile, yeah. don't they? Can I, can I quick honorable mention? Sure. Uh, Adam Jones had that game, I think, against the Phillies, yeah. where he had those three web gems in the same game. Yeah. He was locked in. That was fun to watch. But it's so.
0: an honorable mention because it's the Phillies. Okay. Yeah. All right. Worst injury. I'm well,
1: calling this the Manny Machado award.
0: You are a horrible, horrible human being. Um, This has to go to Hunter Harvey, in my opinion. Uh, Him getting hit by a a random comebacker on the mound and sidelining him for a good portion of the season. And then for only him to come back and then have elbow discomfort. And, uh, you know, they basically said, oh, he can rest another four to six weeks. Tommy Johns is looming, everybody. Be prepared for it. And the situation over the Tommy Johns happens this offseason, he's gone all next year are we looking at a bundy situation here i don't think we're quite there yet because of how young he is and also the contract wasn't signed so he never has really mm. come up and that, that's not really that much of an issue but it is concerning that of your top prospects are having elbow discomfort really makes you question what rick peterson is doing in terms
1: of biomechanics the worst injury that i could could talk about is my heart and the way this team broke it yeah yeah um okay here's a question most impressive dong. Now you you see a lot of dongs. I do see a lot of dongs, and I'm curious as to which one pleases you the most.
0: Well, one second, let me uh, drink some of this head again, and Please do. Uh,
1: we'll, we'll get right back to like that. Mm, Love the head. It's the facial expressions you guys are missing.
0: Yeah, so I think it has to be the Chris Davis waking up the fan uh, walk off. And just the absolute bomb that looked like it was going to hit the, you know, scoreboard in center field.
1: Yeah, it skipped and hit the brick wall behind the bleachers in center field.
0: I mean, that's a moonshot. I mean, it is a
1: moonshot. It was impressive. It was an angry Hulk smash. Yeah, that
0: was a moonshot. And it's like, whoa, Chris Davis is locked in. It was a lot of fun. More disappointing award. Best designated for assignment. All
1: right. Now, I'm taking this as best DFA not like the best one that I was most glad to see, right? Because there were plenty of those. Yeah, I'm going to say this is like the uh, the ultimate DFA, the um, the DFA that that really shows the the worst problem. Okay, right. I'm going to go with Delman Young. Okay, Delman Young went from the hero of ALDS Game Two, the shot heard around Baltimore, possibly the the best moment of my in-person fan life, to being cut. Yeah, in less than a year. Yeah, that. That's
0: brutal. And also never being signed by another team as much as people wanted to say, hey, Delman Young's definitely going to be picked up by a playoff team because look at his great playoff, you know, success.
1: Here's a question. Yeah. When the team was completely uh, impotent offensively. Yeah. And Jimmy Paredes had gone through his second cold spell and we were going through weeks of just, you know, like three runs or less. uh, Excuse me. Three runs or fewer. Yeah. Was there any thought to, hey, Delman Young's working out in his garage? No.
0: You no. just, you've moved on. All right. Yeah. You had Nolan Reimold. I mean, that's basically Delman Young, but without the Jewish
1: sentiment. <laughs> if Nolan Reimold, King, I'm so glad you worked that <laughs> in. If Nolan Reimold <laughs> could keep coming back, you would think that uh, Delman Young could be uh, undead. All right. Can I give an honorable mention? Please. Wesley
0: Wright has to be up there for the Ooh, designated for assignment yeah. of a forgotten individual that was designated for assignment, but still costing the Orioles a few million dollars. Everett Cabrera is also a great one, too. Yeah. Another two and a half million dollars for a person that filled in somewhat...
1: In the first month as best as he could. But not well.
0: But not well. And pretty horrible at that.
1: And Wesley Wright also has the I mean if
0: you want Tuplan, that was Evereth Cabrera oh, in a heartbeat.
1: Absolutely. But Wesley Wesley Wright also uh, unleashed Brian Mattis on us. Yeah. You know, if true. Wesley Wright had been here, maybe Brian Mattis wouldn't have. All right. This one uh we wrote down and I'm curious as your as to your take on it. It's the really buck moment of twenty fifteen. So the
0: really buck moment of twenty fifteen was, and you'll remember this. Angels series, man on first, walk a man to second, walk a man to third, bases loaded for Brian Mattis to come in, blow the game.
1: Okay. It's important for, for everyone <laughs> to, to, to know that we didn't write down the things. No. We, we just have the categories here. Yeah. And so my just beating on Brian Mattis is totally coincidental to what you just said. Yeah. It's as if you're baiting me, but <laughs> I already just let it loose. Brian Mattis is the worst everything. He's the worst everything.
0: But the fact that Buck thought he could control that situation with Brian Mattis, and I understand to a certain regard what he was doing. He was trying to get around Mike Trout. He was trying to get around Albert Pujols. But to bring Brian Mattis in that situation just screamed, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what are you doing?
1: Well, this is the manager that walked Barry Bonds with the bases loaded. It's true. And it worked for him. It did work for him that time. Let me ask you this. Yes. Left-handed pitcher on the mound, not named Brian Mattis. Yeah. Is that a strategic, workable baseball move, or is it overthinking even in that scenario? It's overthinking even that scenario, in my opinion. Okay. I liked it. I I, I, I like the gut and the,
0: the balls to do it. I just don't like putting that kind of pressure on your pitcher in the ninth inning with the bases loaded with the game on the line. Yeah. Just don't like it.
1: I, I feel like when— Not to
0: looking at our left-handed pitchers of Brian Madison, TJ McFarland— Yeah, not liking it.
1: I feel like when Brian Mattis does stuff like that, they need to send him in a room and make him watch highlights of Raul Ibañez hitting that home run in the 2012 ALDS over and over and over again. Oh, and you do remember that game, too, where Zach Britton was somewhat available
0: to come in, and it was decided that, you know, he needed some more rest, and he wasn't brought
1: in. Yeah. They decided that uh, Zach Britton needed the rest, and my liver didn't. Correct. All right. And last— but I would say certainly not least, what is the Bird's Eye View Most Valuable Oriel Award? You know, the, the local media, the beat writers, they all vote on this. Yeah. They gave their award to Chris Davis in what I would call a, uh, a fond farewell present. Mm-hmm. But let's be real here. They don't know us. We are not beholden to anybody. Correct. What is the BEV MVO? All right. My MVO
0: has to go to Manny Machado just in terms of how good he is. But I'm going to throw that out the window because just like we do here at Birds Eye View, we're going to get a little crazy. If you're going to go for our most valuable Oriole, I think you also have to kind of pay heed to forgotten players in Zach Burton and Darren O'Day. The consistency that they have shown over the past two years where once it gets to the eighth inning and once it gets to the ninth inning, pretty much things are sealed up is a, a caveat that most teams don't have. Or, if they do have it, such as the Yankees, they paid an arm and a leg to get it. Yeah. The fact that Zach Burton and Darren O'Day have both done it for the past two years for pretty much less than $6 million per year for the both of them is a pretty impressive situation for this team. For that, and for the very little you know recognition we give the bullpen on a week-in and week-out basis, my most valuable Orioles is just going to go to the back end of the bullpen, Darren
1: O'Day and Zach Burton. And probably for a time, Tommy Hunter. Let's not go that far. <laughs> All right. So it goes to the bullpen. I agree with you that it it absolutely should have been Manny Machado, but I'll I'll go with the back end of the bullpen. I, I like that. Yeah, we got to give
0: uh, credit where credit is due to a certain regard. But Manny Machado, you are amazing, and you're an MVP. With that, it's time to stop looking at the past. It's time to look ahead to the bright, bright future ahead of us. Oh, who am I kidding? Let's get another drink.
1: you set me
0: free. It's gonna take a miracle. Ooh. Yes, it's gonna
1: take a miracle me someone 'Cause for you. Oh, oh yeah. You can always buy me with old school Motown. Yeah, no problem. I'm not even sure
0: this is Motown, but it's got that feel. That's Like you said, it was like a smoky Robinson feel. It does. kind of like it. Um, All right, Jake, next drink of the week. What's the drink of the week? So, Jake, this drink I'm calling the Clear. Mm. So it's going to be a mix of 7-Up Moonshine and then with a dash of orange juice on top.
1: Tell me about this Moonshine.
0: Uh, I can't because it is uh, regulated
1: strongly. Accounts and descriptions. Accounts and descriptions, yes. Wait, wait, wait. You're calling this the clear? This is called the clear. Okay, we've done this all wrong. Okay. And we've done it in the wrong order. Right. We just drank something called the uh, Orioles Fizz. Yeah, the Orioles Fizz because their Orioles season fizzled out. No, no, no. It's no longer the Orioles Fizz. It's to take off the gin fizz. Nope, nope. It's no longer the Orioles Fizz. All right. It's the cream. Ah. It does have a creamy texture. We've got the cream. We've got the clear it's a 2005 Orioles theme.
0: Yes, it's a Palmero vintage, basically. <laughs> Scott, this is good. This good. is good. All right. Well, for as much as everyone wants to talk about free agency, mm-hmm. no one knows what the heck is going on with free agency. So what's the point about talking about Chris Davis anymore? or talking about Matt Wheaters or We and Chen. Folks, we have plenty of time to speculate about free agency for the next few months. Oh, and we will. And we will. In fact, that's pretty much what we're going to do for this podcast <laughs> over the next few months. <laughs> But the one topic that I think we as fans need to talk about more is the potential departure of the coaching staff at this juncture. Now, Dan Ducat and Buck Shaw-Walter had their press conference today, and Dan Ducat had mentioned that all coaches were tendered offers to return to next season. And Buck has come out of multiple instances and said he expects all the coaches to return next season, but... There's a certain hesitancy in the air um, regarding this, you know, strife between Duquette and Sher Walter, and there are rumors circulating that Dave Wallace could be gone in the near future. With John Russell only man, only a coach under contract for next year, um, where do we stand on a coaching basis? Is my question.
1: Can I ask a? this is a dumb question sure john russell yeah used to be the manager of the pirates he did unfortunately so um but he's you know in that fraternity yep. of guys that has coached at the major league level There are openings there are openings, and, and the carousel has started is there any chance that john russell is going to be offered an opportunity to, to coach a club maybe a club in transition i'm thinking you know a place like San Diego. I
0: guess it's possible. I just don't know um, what John Russell's relationship is to the other general managers that are currently out there. My opinion is I think John Russell is very happy with the current position that he has with Buck Walter. But as we've discussed, there's only so many gigs out there in terms of manager, and you never know when someone else is going to come back and ask you the question of, hey, are you interested in that? Uh, Bud Black, for example, was fired this year by the Padres, but I consider him to be a, you know, above average manager. I wouldn't say he was a great manager, Mm -hmm. but above average manager. He's uh, not trembly esque He's not trembly esque But the situation is coming into this offseason, if Bud Black doesn't get hired, how long does it take him before he gets rehired? Buck ran into a similar situation after being discarded and fired. He had to go and kind of work at ESPN and gather, you know, some of his feedback before someone says, you know what, we're willing to offer it to him. And even then when he was hired by the Orioles, we were like, yeah, it's a good move. But Buck has a tendency to be a little too over aggressive. It was certainly a concern that we had mm-hmm. on this show and when Buck Showalter was hired of, oh, I wonder, you know, how, you know, how deep he's going to push it or, you know, how strict he's going to be in the clubhouse. Maybe that's a good thing considering
1: that how bad they were. Follow-up dumb question. Sure. John Russell is the catcher's coach. Yeah. Any different in the allure of this position? if Matt Weiders is not returning? Oh, I don't think so. You right. don't think that that relationship uh, is going to mean anything?
0: No, I, th- I think that John Russell has a pretty good rapport with Caleb Joseph and also with the other catchers too, like Steve Clevenger. Uh, I-, I don't see any issue with Matt Weiders leaving and having anything in that regard. All right. Thus ends the John Russell dumb question segment. Uh, I do have another kind of dumbish question before we start hitting the pitching staff. And is it possible that Bobby Dickerson is injured. Jake, the reason I ask this is, normally you wouldn't tender a contract to someone that may have an injury. And of course, the injury that I'm concerned about is the rotator cuff of Bobby Dickerson.
1: I think much like J.J. Hardy, we are just now finding out that Bobby Dickerson has been playing all season with a damaged right arm. Oh, he's got a torn labrum. That makes perfect sense why he can't throw up the stop sign.
0: Perfect sense. And Wayne Kirby, again... Hasn't been offered a contract because, well, the only thing I can think of is you know Dan Duquette just does not like some of that spicy food that D- K- Kirby is cooking. He's with, not a ribs guy. No, not a, not a ribs guy. All right,
1: enough with the silly bantering. All we could think to say about Bobby Dickerson and and Wayne Kirby as far as actual baseball contributions were his um cooking and his arm let's go and bobby dickerson does a great
0: job with the infielders absolutely and wayne Wayne kirby does a great job with the outfitters um the positioning of each of these each of these coaches by their players is absolutely amazing they get the tip of the cap i really have nothing wrong to say to wayne kirby bobby dickerson they absolutely should be back with this team next year pay the men they Every, need to be back.
1: Everybody's comfortable and the players seem to like them.
0: Correct. I mean, if Adam Jones lose Wayne Kirby, oof. in fact, that might be what Adam Jones is talking about, just going past the middleman. <laughs> he probably just is trying to get Wayne Kirby his contract.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Resign Chris Davis. But listen, listen, you better bring back. Uh, I need Wayne Kirby.
0: Kirby's rib, ribs, okay?
1: Um, I want to
0: talk to Dave Wallace and Dom Sheedy because that's the two names that I'm most concerned about. Um, One of the questions that is written in the show notes is Is Dave Wallace and Dom Sheedy a pair? Everything that we've read to date seems to indicate that's an absolute yes. Uh, the fact that these two get to the stadium together, the fact that they have come into the organization together at a similar time, uh, it, it just seems like, you know, as an article on Pressbox indicates, they're like pancakes and syrup. They just go together. Peas and carrots. Oh, peas and carrots. Eh, peas and carrots. I like pancakes and syrup better, but that's just me. Even hey, Forrest Gump, like peas and, anyway. peas and carrots. Are you so, using uh,
1: So we're sure that they're a parent.
0: I'm, I'm sure they are a pair. Um, I'm not sure if there's a
1: license, but if there was, there should be. Um. <laughs> We're in dangerous territory. I'm going to bring <laughs> us back. Okay. Um, the thing is that I think is cool about Dave Wallace and Dom Chidi is that the players talk about almost co-pitching coaches. And the fact that Dom Chidi has a lot of say, He's uh, he's really influential in a way that I think a lot of other bullpen coaches in Baltimore and beyond have not and are not. Um, so I, I think that's interesting. It, it certainly decreases the allure of the pitching coach job and doesn't make me feel like there's a situation in which Dom Chidi wants to be a pitching coach and is just waiting for somebody um, to to get out of the way. You know, that Dave Wallace and, and he have a good rapport. They work together. Uh, Dom Chidi feels valued in the organization. So I, I don't think there's a real risk of that. I think the, the real question I have is, is what is the effect of a pitching coach and can it be measured while the pitching coach is in place? I mean, let's let's go way back. Mm. Let's talk about Leo Mazzoni. Yeah. I mean, how hard is it to win 14 pennants when you've got guys like Maddox and Glavin and Schmoltz, right? Yeah, but I remember specifically when Leo
0: Mazzoni was called in and hired by the Orioles, I thought, great, mm-hmm. the Orioles are finally gonna get that pitching development that they haven't had. Yeah. I thought Leo Mazzoni was gonna be the godsend to the Baltimore world organization
1: i was right there with you and it turned out not to be the case
0: wasn't the case at all so and, and
1: the thing is that i can't tell and this is ignorant speaking i'm not i'm not uh i don't know if it was that liamazoni couldn't wasn't the type of coach that could bring young pitchers on to to be good pitchers or whether he was the type of guy that could take really really good pitchers and turn them into hall of famers because that's a different skill set right and right? And the other question is that you never know. Like, you never know. And, and I think it's also that you don't find out until afterward when people's lips start to move a little bit. Yeah. And the best example of that that I can see is, uh, you know, Rick Adair. Yeah. Former pitching coach for the Orioles who just came up in conversation off mic between you and I a, a couple of days ago. And we both said kind of the same thing, which was seemingly nice guy. Pretty much in over his head
0: pretty much yeah,
1: but uh, there's some stuff coming out now, especially as it comes to uh, Jake Arietta where um, apparently Jake Arietta and Rick Adair really butted heads didn't see eye to eye philosophically and it appears from those reports and you can never tell but sure from those reports it seems like Rickire may have been part of the contributing factor of Jake Arietta failing to blossom. In an Orioles uniform. Now, it could be a thousand other things. And that's totally right.
0: I mean, you have to still come back to the whole pitching development. I mean, it wasn't just Rick Adair. Sure. Ariadne has said multiple times that ever since he came into the Orioles organization, they were trying to tweak
1: his delivery. So it is an organizational failure on their part. But But, that that is an interesting anecdote and one that doesn't come out until, like I said, years after it's happened. Correct. I I think coming back to the whole situation,
0: um, you know— Dave Wallace was hired in November 2013. So we've got the 2014 season and we've got the 2015 season. The 2014 season obviously was a banner year in terms of starting pitching. And you can only look at Dave Wallace and Dom Chidi and be like, wow. I mean, that's impressive. Um, You know, 2015, of course, the starting pitching regressed. Some of it would be expected. I think their regression was probably a little bit more severe than we were expecting. Bud Norris being one clear example. But even Chris Tillman under pitch to what we were expecting, but let's take some of the positives out of this. Zach Burton ever since working with Dave Wallace has turned into a dominant closer. I mean, an absolute dominant closer, um, you know, and you know, Wallace has the credentials of working in developing talents such as Pedro Martinez, Ramon Martinez, Hideo Nomo, Chanho Park. Um, Oral Horshizer actually has even come out and said, you know, he was a major success when he was with the Dodgers at that time as well. I'm not saying that Dave Wallace hasn't had his failures. Everybody has their failures. But Dave Wallace, just looking at the 2014 season, especially looking at, you know, Zach Burton, even Darren O'Day is a huge contribution. And, you know, Dom GD has to be right there, too, in terms of look how good the bullpen has been over the past two seasons. I know we can come back and take a look and say 2012 bullpen was really good. 2013, the bullpen was really good. But 2014, 2015, you know, might even be better than that 2012 and 2013 season, of the bullpen. I really like the way that Dave Wallace and Dom Chidi have approached the pitching staff and the bullpen in this. I, I also have a question, to looking at Wallace's track record. You know, he's got, you know, experience as a GM. He's got experience, you know, doing uh, scouting. He's got experience doing pitching development. I have to question my my mind. You know, Rick Peterson, big Dan Duquette guy, and you've got, you know, Dom Chidi and Dave Wallace, who are big buck guys. You have to think there's kind of some butting of heads in terms of development. So you're asking who will own it? Pretty much, yeah. And I think that has to be the big question that why Dave Wallace hasn't committed, at least to another contract, is... You know, if I stay here, what kind of role am I going to have in terms of shaping this organization? I don't want to constantly get players up here and then have to fix them once they get up here. I want to have players that I can have a handle on, not just in spring training, but throughout the minors as well. I don't know what they can do. I don't know if it's a situation where maybe Dave Wallace takes over the pitching development and basically leaves being a pitching coach. I don't know if he would even want to do that but there has to be a clear divide right now between Rick Peterson and Dave Wallace, and the team is going to have to make that decision. Me personally, I'm picking Dave Wallace specifically for the fact that he came up and thanked you personally for the 2014 season last <laughs> he did, year. He did indeed.
1: <laughs> Dave Wallace and I go way back, yes. at least 10 minutes in 2014. Right. Um, I, here's my question. Sure. I, I agree with you that I think that uh, the team is best off if Dave Wallace and Dom Cheney return. Yeah. Let's let's play devil's advocate. Sure. Let's be in a post uh, Dave and Dom world. Yeah. Uh, what becomes of the pitching coach position? You've mentioned Rick Peterson. Yeah. Who I guess is an option, but I feel like no, he's there, not, there's no way Rick Peterson's a he's pitching not coach not already option. in uniform, it's not going to
0: happen. No, it's not going to happen. He doesn't have that mentality and persona uh,
1: to be a pitching coach uh, anymore. If that happens, yeah. is it somebody from outside of the organization or somebody from within? Like, for instance, our old friend Alan Mills is uh, – Coaching in the minors. Yeah. I don't know what
0: Alan Mills and Buck's uh relationship is. I know you've got the Oral's relationship there, but past that, Buck has had a a strong tendency to go out and hire former coaches of him that he feels comfortable with. (sighs) My that would be my only thing. I don't think Alan Mills gets the job because I think Buck would want to go and handpick his own player. Yeah, I'm not saying that Alan Mills couldn't do the job. In fact, I think he could do the job pretty well, but I think Buck would go and handpick someone personally.
1: I hear you. That's a that's a, a, a great outlook. Um, can I follow up with another dumb question? You may. Related to Alan Mills, and Orioles minor league coach, if some of these other coaches leave, you've already answered in the fact that you think that Buck goes out and gets somebody from the outside. Uh, but there are some coaches in the minors that have made appearances on the major league staff sure. and I think are becoming – buck guys and the first is ron johnson
0: yeah i think ron johnson is being slowly groomed perhaps for that bench coach job um either that or perhaps even bobby dickerson's job in the future as well but ron johnson is going to get paid uh, dividends and he's going to be brought up to the major league staff sooner rather than later if i had to pick one coach in all the Orioles' minor league baseball system, i pick Ron Johnson as my go-to guy. And him and Buck have a good relationship based off of the Norfolk shuttle that they've been going on for the past few seasons. Well,
1: that's a great point. I, I almost think that works against him in the yeah. fact that Ron Johnson is so effective in, in AAA, in the fact that, yeah, he's a good manager for the minors and he's, he's good at, at bringing along players in the organizational way that Buck wants. But he's also an eye and an ear at AAA – that Buck trusts and I feel like that's yeah. that's invaluable to Buck Showalter and it's, it's almost it's kind of like a second bench coach yeah, in all aspects
0: yeah. I mean it's really I mean Ron Johnson deserves a tip of the cap and I know you know you come back to last year for the 2014 playoff season um, they gave you know playoff shares to all the players that had come up and worked with them, but they also gave it to the minor league staff as well because of all the help they, they were able to give them so you know Norfolk and Ron Johnson are held in high regards He's that's one player, one coach that you can't get rid of in the near future.
1: And uh, in one of the games, I think it was last year in 2014, Wayne Kirby was off, maybe at a daughter's graduation or something yeah. like that. And um, Johnson came up and coached first base. It was a big deal for him. And it was fun to watch for him. A last dumb question that I've got for you, and then I'll give up the floor, is Einer Diaz. Yeah. Has been the second hitting coach. And if you'll forgive me, the... Latin American ambassador sure. in that clubhouse. Uh does he have a role on this club if there are changes made? I don't see it um
0: personally. Uh I think Scott Cobal is gonna be here for the good run. Um Chris Davis had a banner year, and of course that's partially due to Scott Cobal's relationship with him. But let's not, you know, pony away credit from him. This is, you know, a team that had an offensive explosion in terms of like Manny Machado as well. Scott Cobalt does deserve a little bit of credit in terms of improving play discipline for a number of players, including Jonathan Scope, Manny Machado, Adam Jones, Adam Jones. Him. I mean, these are all foundation players that, you know, I wouldn't have thought could change at this point. Um, but Scott Cobalt has transitioned them into a, a, a much better hitting team. So I didn't think Scott Cobalt was going to be a success. I actually thought that they were going to get more aggressive and they were the strikeouts would go up. Um, and to a certain regard, they kind of did. Um, but the plate approach, I think, has been much better this year by evidence of the walk rate increasing as well this season.
1: Yeah. And again, I feel like hitting coach is one of those things that when the team does well, everybody says the hitting coach is great. Yeah. And when they don't, then everybody says that the hitting coach is terrible. But let's keep in mind that these are like, you know, multi million dollar players. And if they want to swing, they're going to swing. Right. You know what I mean?
0: Um, and we've talked about this before. Most of the time a hitting coach doesn't mount up to a jack of beans. At most, they're worth one win, maybe two sure. wins if you really want to get crazy. But in reality, it doesn't really matter.
1: They help the young players adjust to the major league level. They help the aging players get a little bit more and adjust to not having the natural gifts that they used to have. I think that's the, the two areas where a major league hitting coach really makes his bread and butter. Right.
0: All right. Well, speaking about bread and butter, someone buttered their bread this week. Baby And Fantasy balls.
1: I'm gonna butter your bread oh. When it comes to kissing I just gotta keep insisting Baby You sure do swing When it comes to kissing I just gotta keep insisting on am dead deep. You are the king Baby you've got me beat up and down
0: Jake, I baited you. you I, I drew you in, and I thought I had you for about a week. Uh up until I guess it was Thursday when Davis had his multi-home run game. I was just like, oh, I've got him, I got him and then the lights went out. Um, So two weeks, uh, this discussion was who would have the most home runs in two weeks, and I had to pick two players that would beat yours. Your choice was Chris Davis, who put together two games with two home runs. So he finished with four home runs in this 2 weeks stretch. Manny Machado was my other pick, who absolutely went gangbuster over the past two weeks with six home runs. And my other pick was Jonathan Scope, who started off actually beating Chris Davis, but then... Davis had the multi-home run game. I was like, well, maybe he can come back, injured himself, never got back into the season. Um, And by that aspect, Chris Davis is the winner of fantasy boss. And it kind of appropriate actually that Chris Davis ends up this season um, as the final winner of fantasy boss.
1: You know, I hung my hat on Chris Davis. It was kind of a a last hurrah type of deal. Cliche, really. It paid off for me. I really appreciate that. So I, you know, I win fantasy boss this year, which is ironic because I can barely count. Yes. Um we get to But hear you're getting better. the dulcet tones of Brian Setzer and Gwen Stefani uh for the last time this season uh but I do have a confession to make. Sure. This victory is somewhat hollow. Really? It is. Uh you and I play in a fantasy football league ah. together and this week was also our head to head week and you're we,
0: undefeated. You destroyed me. It wasn't that bad. I, I, we, can, we still have to see what happens tonight, but it's not looking good.
1: It, as a good friend of mine and former teacher would say, I haven't seen a beating like that since Amistad. Oh. And he could get away with saying it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, so Fantasy Boss has come to an end. I think that we need to shake things up. Oh, okay. Fantasy Boss, I think, was an excellent... Uh, addition to our podcast yeah,
0: three years worth of uh numbers but i think everyone is kind of familiar with all the statistics that we can throw out from uh walk percentage to k percentage to weighted runs created plus to fip uh anybody that's listening to the show if you ever have a question please just hit us up on twitter at birds of but i don't think we need to cover it anymore at this time
1: you know it was it was a segment that i i had suggested that we squeeze a little bit of education into because right. uh, i think you're good at that but I think next season we need to get some listener interaction yeah. into Fantasy Boss. So uh, in, in the offseason, we're going to retire Fantasy Boss for at least the next six months or so. Scott and I are going to tweak the format a little bit. Fantasy Boss will have a new look and feel for next season. But the important thing to remember is that I won. I won. I won. Three-time champion, baby. That's crap, but I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I think it's time that we move on to the good, the bad, and oh, yes, the very ugly.
0: That's right, folks. It's time for the good, bad, and the ugly. I'm actually going to start off this week, but before we get started, we're here for another drink. Drink of the week this week is going to be the Orange Kool-Aid, which is going to be uh pretty much two parts Blue Coat gin with one part triple sec topping it off with orange juice to allow us to drink this beverage. The Blue Coat makes it. The Blue Coat does really does make it. Folks, if you ever want a citrusy gin, and I've mentioned this before, Blue Coat gin is where you need to be. Uh, don't go with Hendrix. Don't go with, uh, you know, Bombay. Don't go with anything else. Blue Co Gin for your orange, citrusy gin drinks.
1: I do not co sign the don't go with Hendrix under any circumstance. It doesn't work. I'm sorry. It's great for cucumber, but for orange juice, Hendrix doesn't work. It's great all the time, Scott.
0: Okay. All right. Let's start with the good. Uh, my good for the week has to start with. Chris Davis, look, when you walk off in your last potential at bat with your team, it's an automatic win. When fans chant your name wanting you to re-sign with a team, you win. Chris Davis, you win. Game over, sir.
1: But I hope it's not game over for the, you and the Orioles. We've talked about in the past. The money might not make sense, but my heart says yes. Yeah. yeah. This is the one that's going to hurt. I love Rooting for Chris Davis. And I I tweeted out something he said in the post-game interview, which was, these fans stood behind me even when I was tough to stand behind. Yeah. It's so easy to root for the guy. It really is.
0: (sighs) If only it wasn't going to be $150 million.
1: All right. My good this week. My good for the week stood in the shadow of Chris Davis and Manny Machado's dongs. And that person was Matt Wieters. No kidding. Matt Wieters had a great week. In also his swan song as an Oriole, in what is most likely the very last at-bats that he shared in an organization that drafted him and was supposed to bring him into baseball glory, Matt Wieters put together a three oh nine weighted runs created plus. He went 8 for 15 with two doubles, a home run, four RBI. Look, it was a fond farewell. And, uh, you know, Matt Wieters may not hold the luster that he once did, but for uh, this last week, it's been awfully nice knowing you, Matt.
0: I also want to come back to the one point you made, where he's been standing in the shadows. And to a certain regard, I, that's a perfect way to put it. With Chris Davis receiving all his accolade and Wei and Chen receiving all his accolade, Matt Wieters has somewhat been pushed into the shadows. There was no great reception for Matt Wieters. There was no, you know, coming out in the ninth inning, tipping the cap. There was no. There was no swan song to a certain regard. Yeah. Matt Weeders went about his day in and day out operation. And as much as we want to talk about how emotional it was for the players, it has to be equally emotional for Matt Wieters to know that, you know, I'm not going to probably going to be back here next year. And the fans also are not noticing me as much as these other players.
1: And it's all he's known.
0: Yeah. All right. Bad for the week. Steve Pierce, who had a rough week at the plate and actually had a rough week all things considering for most of september um steve pierce is doing nobody any favors um making us forget about chris davis it's getting harder and harder in my opinion to see him as a platoon replacement for davis i hate to say it but he's kind of chris parmalee-esque
1: yeah this is tough to hear because i also have a soft spot in my heart that is shaped like steve pierce who the heck He's the only Oriole that follows us on Twitter. For God's it's sake, true. <laughs> I, and and it just it really does. It really does go back to the images from 2014's playoff post game interviews and the tears in his eyes. It really like every time somebody says Steve Pierce sucks, I see that in my head and mm. think, yeah, but he's our suck.
0: Yeah, it's. I'm really holding out hope that we get to see Steve Pierce next year. Just Hopefully not in that platoon first base situation. I'd love to see him as a DH role similar to what Delman Young was next year.
1: Yeah, He's a great utility player. Yeah. All right. My bad for this week is Ryan Flaherty. Ryan Flaherty had plenty of chances. Had some appearances in the outfield. And then once Jonathan Scope went down, he got his chances there. He rewarded uh, Buck Showalter with that faith by going two for 24. Um, You know, I, I beat the Ryan Flaherty drum. I may not be the uh, John Wilkes of Orioles Uncensored saying he's going to hit 20 20 home runs, runs. but I think he's a great platoon guy, a great utility guy. He's the best 25th man in the league, but he didn't show it this week.
0: and The other thing I want to point out, too, is Ryan Flaherty playing that much time in the outfield has to be of concern, at least to Orioles fans. The fact that players like Daryl Alvarez, Junior Lake, and Henry Uridia were not out there um, playing instead of Ryan Flaherty just indicates to me how weak that outfield depth is for this organization. It's something that probably is going to have to be fixed. Um, In fact, it's going to have to be fixed based on the corner outfield situation. But the Orioles certainly don't have uh, something waiting in the wings. I think as much as we want to harp on Chris Davis, solidifying that corner outfield position is going to be equally as important. All right. Ugly for the week is going to go to... I hate to say it, Brad Brock, who had a horrible week, Brad which, you know, Brad Brock, in my opinion, has been the third best reliever in terms of this bullpen the entire season. I think he's been right behind Darren O'Day and Zach Burton. Uh, I had high hopes for Brad Brock coming into the season. He, you know, held up his end of the bargain to a certain regard. But this week gave me no solace in terms of, you know, thinking to myself, yep, he could fill Darren O'Day's role in the eighth inning. He does a great job in terms of a seventh-inning role or getting an end to an inning. But in terms of being a setup player, I don't know if I saw it this week, and it's very concerning going forward if Darren O'Day doesn't come back for this team.
1: I I think that in many ways, uh, Givens has, has leapfrogged over Brad Brock in Buck's confidence back there in the bullpen.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen enough of Givens to make me think that right now, but... Certainly, we didn't see enough of Brad Brock, and at that point last year, Buck went to Brad Brock in many clutch situations, and everything worked out fine. Again, very small sample size for Brad Brock. Brad Brock had a great season, all things considering. It just didn't do me any favors this week.
1: All right, my ugly is as follows. Ugly, mm. this week, this season, and most importantly, this offseason, is the uncertainty. Oh. Is this the end? Are the good times really at an end? We don't know. This could be Dark Period 2.0. Yeah, we've got Buck and and we've got Dan, and there was a time when that was really important to us. We've got Manny, we've got Adam Jones, and and it goes on and on, but we don't know. And I feel like the naysayers that are there every season and every off-season are pointing at 2014 and saying, see, I told you, or uh, 2015 and saying, see, I told you so. I told you so. This team is no good. There's nothing to look forward to. They're going to really struggle to win moving forward. This was their last chance, and they blew it. And you know what? I don't know that they're wrong. And the uncertainty is what makes this offseason ugly. It's going to be ugly staring out the window and waiting for spring and waiting for every last bit of offseason news when I have absolutely no confidence that the Orioles will go out and do the things that I think and you think and we all think that they need to do to win ball games. Do I have any confidence that the Orioles are going to be active in free agency? No. Do I have any confidence at all in their ability to, to bring players through the system to have meaningful impact on the, on the team in 2016? No. In many ways, this franchise is at a crossroad. There's uncertainty in the offseason, and It sucks. This week, it's my ugly.
0: Well, with that, I'm going to take a big sieve of my orange (laughs) (laughs) Kool-Aid. That's good. And I'm going to go ahead and blow the save this week. Folks, this is our fourth year doing this right now. And I just have to say to you, thank you so much for hanging out with us on a nightly basis to talk Orioles baseball on Twitter and also to give your comments to our show it truly makes it a little bit better to be a fan, even when bad baseball is being played. It's this sense of community that we have with various other blogs, various other podcasts that make us want to continue to do this. Folks, we're not making any money on this. In fact, we're losing money on a day-in-a-day day out basis uh, on this program. In fact, we probably have lost enough money to pretty much bought season tickets at this point for one season. Um, So we're certainly not doing this for the profit. We're just certainly just doing it for the sheer company of me and Jake wanting to get together on a Monday night and pound down multiple drinks um, (laughs) for your listening enjoyment. But to you out there, we certainly do appreciate you each week taking a little bit of your time um, to spend a little bit of time with us and just be an Orioles fan with us. So for that, I'm just going to give you a very simple thank you. All right. Anything else you have to add, Jake? Or should we go ahead and start closing this out?
1: No, I have I have nothing with which to add. I, I think that we're going to go and do this whole uh, off-season schedule where sometimes it'll be weekly, sometimes it'll, it'll be bi-weekly. I think we're going to take next week off. We're going to definitely take next week off. We might even take the week after that. I think it's time for us to just go into
0: a little bit of a hibernation mode, recover a little bit. But I promise you that the next time you hear us there will be thoughtful intellectual conversation about the oh who am I kidding there will be just
1: random frivolous talk about the Orioles okay but this is not a Baltimore on situation this is not an Orioles spastic situation pour one out we'll be back we're going to take a little time to lick our wounds we'll have a great show for you the next time we see you maybe it'll be two weeks maybe it'll be three we'll be around we'll be on Twitter and with that Baltimore Beyond I bid you I'll find to do do Good night, Baltimore. be safe and let's go O's. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. You know, I do have to drive home.
0: Yeah, more. Okay.